Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PGA DraftCast brought to you by WinDailySports.com. Just a quick reminder that Sports doesn't just cover golf. They cover the NFL, the NHL, MLB, NBA, soccer, MMA, NASCAR, you name the sport. Sports has projection models, optimizers, articles, and our famous Discord chat to cover it all. Now, if you click the promo link below and you type in Win Big or Green, you will get one week free of WinDaily. And then after that, it is just $5.99 per week for all of that, including some of our betting content. Now, let's get to the PGA DraftCast, where we have proven track records with Joel, Spencer, David, and myself. Let's have some fun. Get in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the page and make sure you hit the like button. Let's do this snake draft. Let's do the PGA DraftCast. Let's do it right now. Welcome in YouTube to the PGA Draftcast with a very special DP World Tour episode. We don't often head over to the ditch, but it is a breath, breath of fresh air for the world's biggest tournament this week to be over the other side of the Atlantic on the DP World Tour, the BMW PGA Championship with an absolutely stacked field. And we had to bring on the big guns with... For me, if I if I speak personally, my idol when it comes to golf betting um, and also in terms of just his editorial skills and his article writing, always well worth a follow. Mr. Sir Ben Coley, how are you this evening? Um, much better after that. Thank you. That's very generous. Um, and it's good to speak to you as well, David. We've shared some nice chats over the last couple of years and uh, I know you've been banging in winners as well. So um, I'll hopefully keep up with you. But no... Um, as you said, it's great that the BMW PGA Championship is in the spotlight. I think, you know, in years to come, we could see it develop into something even more than it is today. And I hope we'll see some of the uh, very best Americans join Billy Horschel in, in playing in it in years to come. But right now, we've got all 12 members of that European Ryder Cup team. So it's a fantastic event, a great way to continue the, the biggest month of the year in golf for me. I, I don't think it gets much better than this. Absolutely, and and just even bigger things around the corner, right? We've got the the French Open next week. Um, pretty quirky, quirky, fun course to follow there, and then um, right into it with the the Ryder Cup as well, which I know that you and I have um spoke spoken about and speculated on, and um, yeah, been looking forward to for for quite some time, and that's that's just around the corner, so that's that's incredibly exciting. Um, touching on the Ryder Cup, that European team, I know that you and I. Uh, perhaps took different views on a particular Sepp striker. Now that Nikolai Hoygaard has made the team, how are you feeling about um, Sepp making the squad? Yeah, look, um, I mean, I, that, that was kind of, I was planning alone for it with that. I think it's very hard to deny the fact that he earned uh, his selection. I, I think my worry with him is that he earned it with a very sudden burst of form. And um, if I was, I suppose it's a different thing, you know, trying to work out who, who, has done enough to to earn selection and who you'd be confident will deliver. And I would just have that doubt that if you get set on a bad week, and I think a lot of people are talking about Robert McIntyre as uh, the European player with perhaps, shall we say, the lowest floor. I actually think Sep might have the lowest floor. Um, so that would be my big worry around a course that I don't necessarily think suits him. But look, I'm not complaining. I got my Nikolai. He's there. Um and, uh, you know, um, I, I'm really excited about this team. I am. I, I think they're going to... I, I think it's a team that you can look at from a European perspective. And, and I'm not a particularly patriotic person, but when it comes to the Ryder Cup, I'll have the blue paint. 
with the gold stars um, uh, and I become very patriotic about Europe. And um, I, I do think whatever happens in this Ryder Cup, first and foremost, I don't think Europe will be disgraced as they kind of were uh, in America two years ago. Uh, but secondly, as well, there'll be players in there who are playing five or six Ryder Cups over the next 12 to 15 years who um, will learn a lot from this experience and, and they get to make their Ryder Cup debuts alongside people like Rory McIlroy and with a, a former world number one European as captain. It, it's, uh, it's a pretty good gig um, and I know they relish that role as underdogs as well. So uh, I don't think it could be set up much better, to be honest with you, for a, a fabulous Ryder Cup in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And I think that if you'd asked me, you know, six to eight months ago, I would have been um, leaning the other way to what I am now. It just it does feel like the European golfers are the ones right rounding into form at the moment. I mean, um, if you look at the top of the board, it just looks incredibly competitive for those first sort of eight names. And then guys like Sepp Striker, for example, I mean, yes, he's got an incredibly low floor. And I agree with you totally on that. But I also feel like he's got an incredibly high ceiling of he can just go out and make eight birdies for you. And I think for the the European side, what Luke Donald wants to see from someone like Sepp Striker is, does he come out on, you know, his singles round, shoot a 62 that day and suddenly steal a point that they're not expecting to kind of get away with? And, and that could be the the turning point for them. Um, not so sure that Marco Simone is the best fit for Sepp Strucker. And I probably um, would, have, would have preferred like an Adrian Moronk in there just in terms of the course fit and style. Um, and I'm sure Dodo running his numbers would have found the same thing. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree. You know, Sepp is just incredibly hard to to leave out. And if you're looking for a player who's got that high upside, he kind of checks that box for me. Um, then on the American side, you know, guys like Justin Thomas making the squad, I, I suspected he was always going to kind of be there unless someone went and absolutely claimed that spot. And it didn't feel really like anybody did. Um, I guess Keegan Bradley would have been the closest and probably the one who can feel the most to grieve, perhaps rightly so, um, that he isn't in that team. I mean, what what did you make of the choices there from, from Zach Johnson on the American side? Yeah, um, very difficult. I think very similar, I suppose, to Europe, um, albeit with a different sort of set of players, different style of player. I think as far as Europe goes, um, I, I agree with you about Adrian and I think he's, I think he's unlucky. I, I think we'd all say that. I'd also say that Europe probably has enough of that type of player. And, and so the, the, one of the potential benefits of, of a player like Sepp Stracker is that he does give you something different, perhaps someone to find a few fairways in a four balls match where someone else goes after those drivable par fours, for instance, which we'll see. And Marco Simone, as far as the American side goes, I did waver a lot with, with JT, but, but I, I pretty much agree with what you're saying. The, the playoffs were there. Um, you had people like Tony Finau, Cameron Young, who is entitled to feel a bit annoyed that he was sort of half told he was going to be in the team. But ultimately, they didn't play well enough um, following the Open Championship when, of course, Cam Young did play very well. Um, and it, it allowed Zach Johnson uh, to go back to JT. And I think hearing from Johnson since, he probably didn't have as much doubt as, as people like us may have done. Um, but I do think in some strange way, Justin Thomas not playing in the playoffs helped him. Because if he goes to Southwind and he, you know, finds one or two of those various ponds um, and, and all of a sudden finishes, you know, 65th in that field of 70. And, um, you know, let's, okay, let's say he finished a bit higher and he did somehow progress to the BMW Championship. Then he finishes 45th in that. 
it's very, very difficult to, to accept a sustained run of poor form. And actually, instead, what we had was that um, closing image of Justin Thomas very nearly chipping in to make the playoffs. And in some ways, I, I think actually that was the perfect ending for him. Um, but maybe I'm too romantic. And, and the bottom line is, I think Zach Johnson, he said it himself, you don't leave JT at home. I think there was a circumstance where you do, but it definitely required more. And it required more from different people. And with the greatest of respect to Lucas Glover, who deserves uh, a lot of credit for what he did, um, had that been Tony Finau winning back-to-back, we'd have had a very different conversation. Yeah, completely agree with that. I mean, Tony Finau was the baffling one for me. I would have thought that... Uh, beginning of the year, he would have been one of the first or six names that I would have put on that that team sheet, and then he just really crumbled over the the summer, unfortunately. And um, you know, saw someone like Lucas Glover get hot. Um, it it would have raised the question of you know he he's hot now. Is he going to be hot in six weeks' time when he kind of needs to be? And that that would have been the the concern on that side. And um, yeah, completely agree on the the Justin Thomas take, and I like the angle that you come at it with that, that um, perhaps playing less would have benefited him um, in the the long run. Um, on the the flip side, I think Adrian Moronk, if he'd remained in Europe, um, actually could have automatically qualified quite easily in the end, and um, he's probably kicking himself considering he more than likely is going to earn that PGA Tour card automatically anyway by the end of this um, DP World Tour season. In the meantime, that's in a fortnight. This week, we've got a huge tournament at Wentworth with a massive field. Very exciting to see all of the European Ryder Cup team. Um, I was wondering, Ben, if you could take us through the course a little bit and what your observations are of Wentworth, what sort of golfer it's going to suit and any sort of comp courses that you use in your analysis here. Well, the main thing to say about Wentworth, obviously, you know, it's been redesigned controversially about 13 or 14 years ago and that that process got repeated and repeated until they ended up with something that they're pretty happy with. It's not a difficult course, particularly now. I know a lot of players, you know, they wouldn't necessarily say that. I think all the players um, at the top of this market would say, oh, no, Wentworth's tough. If you're not on your game, you can do this, that and the other. But it gives you a lot of opportunities. There are not a great deal of long holes here. Um, four reachable par fives. I mean, it closes almost uniquely with two par fives, the 17th and 18th. I know 17, you've got to hit a very, very good drive to a very precise bit of the hill on the left to have a chance of running up on the green, but it is doable. Um, Certainly there are eagle opportunities on all four par fives, the fourth and the 12th really are are par fours. And you've got to make your score around those holes. Um, There are, you know, a set of difficult par threes, but again, they're not long irons for these guys nowadays. I mean, they're quite short par threes. You think, the second, we generally see someone go very close to a hole in one, the 10th as well, which feeds into the middle of, of a sort of typically quite small green. And it's very difficult if someone asks you about Wentworth, like what are the holes where things can go badly wrong? And actually, there aren't that many. Um, you know, there is some out of bounds, the 9th, the 15th, they can they can test a player. But it's, it's a course where you can score. And we, we saw it last year, albeit, yes, the course was very soft and softer than it will be this time. But we saw a couple of 62s and... Um, I, whether or not we'll get that low this year, I don't know. But it, it's a it's a fun golf course. I, I think it, you know it's probably proof that not every golf course has to be really difficult to host a world class event. Um, and certainly, obviously, for me and for for anyone who grew up in Europe, but also as we've heard from Porschel and and various others, it's an event that um, really resonates. You know, this is a golf course that hosted this event since the eighties, but also the the world match players. It was. Um, uh, throughout the 90s and early 2000s. And, and I, my earliest memories watching golf are, are watching Wentworth. So it's a course with real history and, and that's very, very difficult to replicate. 
Um, but above all else, yeah, I'd say it's a course where you don't you don't necessarily run into a lot of trouble, but it will test everything about your game. It will ask you to hit a lot of different shots. You know, you, you don't have to hit that many drivers, but when you do need to hit driver, you've got to hit it well, 9 and 15 probably. Two of the better examples, even though we've seen a bit more clubbing down over the years there. Um, but if you miss greens, you know, they are small. Scrambling is not easy. Uh, fairways aren't that easy to find. But again, you're, you're hitting long irons and three woods to a lot of them. So yeah, it's if you're on your game, you can score. If you're not, it'll make you look a bit silly. I think it's a really good test for this event. Um, I think it's improved for, for being made a bit easier uh, in some ways. Um, and listen, you know, in the last few years, we, we had a massive shock here in 2010 when Simon Kahn won. Uh, we've had a couple of almost shocks since. And, and Ben Ann, when he won as a rookie, was a, a fairly big price. But in recent years, now that the course is quote unquote fairer, I don't necessarily think fair is the best word to use in golf sometimes, but um, it's produced a high class role of honour. And I find it difficult to imagine that changing this week. Yeah, I mean, look at the when the field is as stacked as it is. I mean, it, it's it's always a strong field on the DP World Tour. I mean, it's essentially the equivalent of the Players Championship for the DP World Tour. It's that sort of caliber. Um, but with the field this year, with the Ryder Cup on the the you know just around the corner in Rome, it does feel like it's very likely to go towards the top of the board. Um, I guess for me, like a minus eighteen to a minus twenty two, somewhere where I see the the winning score sitting around that range, um, maybe a bit lower if someone gets gets really hot, but I, th- I believe it's been quite dry and firm. You'll know better than me um, being on the ground there in the UK. Um, so I, I wonder if that perhaps makes some of those sloping fairways just a little bit more difficult to hold in certain spots and you see a bit of run out into some of those those um, that thick rough um, around Rentworth as well. Um, and then in terms of comparison courses, I know that you spoke in your article about Woburn. Um Matiga for me came up quite a bit in terms of you know the Kenyan Open Plough Clan kind of tree lined course. I'm um, obviously got the altitude there. Um, always comes into play. Um, potentially Brabazon Belfry again narrower kind of test and not necessarily the longest course, but it's going to put a lot of pressure on your approach game. Smallish greens, water in play, and hazards in play as well. Um, anything else that you'd add to that list there, Ben? Yeah, I think the Brabazon's a really good one, and and I think as well actually they don't go there a lot so we can't say with any real certainty but I think last week at the K Club's a really good way to prepare for Wentworth um, again you know it, it was probably a bit softer than they'd hoped for at the K Club um, and I think the rough probably a bit thicker than we'll get at Wentworth it, it's quite rare actually at Wentworth to see people doing as they were at the K Club at times and, and sort of hacking out of the rough and I was quite surprised to see that myself actually um, and it's probably what kept a lid on scoring in the Irish Open in the end. Um, so slightly different in some ways, but I think, yeah, these, these sort of classical Parkland tests, a couple of good courses potentially in places like Belgium. So a lot of Harry Colt's work um, can be seen there in Belgium. A lot of people who have taken inspiration from him um, and the Netherlands as well. But Belgium in particular, I would think of courses like Rinkman, uh, which we've seen host the Belgian knockout and then more recently the Sudal Open. Now, obviously the problem with these is that um, seldom are the best players involved in these fields. So, yeah, they might help you fill out a DraftKings lineup. They might give you that little clue there. Uh, but Rory McIlroy has not yet played in the Sudal Open, and I, I don't imagine that will change anytime soon. <laughs> no, I think, uh, yeah, everyone in Belgium would be flocking to the Sudal Open uh, where Rory and McIlroy suddenly uh, headlining that contest. But, yes, another fantastic example. Um, finding a few ways, but, um, yeah, a lot of tree-lined 
um, tree-lined um, parkland kind of style courses, I think, is where I'm looking for the guidance. But it does look to be an all-round test of the game. Um, we're going to bring up the draft board and get into this draft. So if you're new to the PGA Draftcast, the way this works is a standard snake-style draft. Um, we're gonna, you've got your um, DraftKings salary, so 50k is the maximum you can spend. You can't just go and get all the best golfers. Once a golfer's off the board, you can't take him again. Um, I have gone ahead and given Ben Coley um, the first tip, and I think I know perhaps where that's going to go. So um, I will bring up the draft board now, and as I do, also a big congratulations, um, Ben, on the win last week. I'll just resize this. Um, big congratulations on last week with um, Vincent Norman, obviously, coming through for you. He was with our tips as well, along with um, Ryan Fox. So it's always nice to to get a bit of a winner um, to, to start the season. And, and look, a great example of, um, yeah, and it's something I, I try and hammer home, and I'm not alone in that, but... The PGA Tour, as much as I love the DP World Tour, it's my favourite golf tour. If I could only watch one tour, I would watch the DP World Tour without question. But the PGA Tour is so much deeper. The talent pool is so much deeper. And when a player like Vincent Norman, who spent all year playing on the PGA Tour and winning, um, comes over to the DP World Tour, you have to give them enormous respect. And we've seen it every tournament since uh, the DP World Tour came back could have won, been won by a player returning, you know, Matt Wallace was really unlucky not to win, I thought, um, in in the Czech Masters. And then, of course, we had Ludwig Arberg. Um, it could so easily have been Nikolai Hoygaard in any, any one of those two events. And then last week, Vincent Norman, but also Ryan Fox, who spent most of this year um, on the PGA Tour as well. So I, I think it's just worth stressing again. And there'll be, there'll be players in this field who um, who fit that criteria. And I think you have to give them enormous respect. Absolutely, yeah. It is, it is it is still a big drop down, isn't it, from the the PGA Tour, the DPL Tour, and, and Mel Wallace, I think, is a perfect example because he did the similar thing um, last year. He was in dreadful form, missing tons of cuts, and then um, pops back over to to I think it might have been the KLM Open or the Porsche European Open. I can't quite recall, but um, and he finished sort of top five just instantly um, as soon as he stepped back down. So, in saying that, Ben Coley, the first pick of the PGA Draftcast for the BMW PGA Championship is yours. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with John Rahm, um, who um, is my headline bet this week as well. I, I think I understand the reasons people would sort of rank him third this week behind uh, Rory McIlroy and Victor Hovland. I know a lot of people would look at DraftKings and think, you know, Hovland at, what, $500 less is, is better value. But I think Rahm is just a phenomenal um, a big fish in small pond. I, I think he's so good. Uh, and some players don't always, um, it doesn't always work quite as straightforwardly as it has with him. And he's, he's won eight times in 23 non-major starts on the DP World Tour. It's just a phenomenal return. And I know that a lot of those have been in weaker fields than this, but um, at least three and probably five of them have been in comparable fields to this. And then you throw in the fact that he's been runner-up in both his Wentworth appearances. You know, he's the halfway leader on debut. Um, and then last year, he, he stormed through the field on Sunday and, and thought he might have won it, um, but um, was done by Shane Lowry, of course, in the end. So um, he comes into this off a quiet playoffs, but that's also something I don't really mind because I think um, after a long year, a, a new year where, you know, they've been playing these designated or elevated or now signature events, we're supposed to call them, 
players are getting to grips with new schedules and dealing with a whole lot of stuff. And that's before you throw in the fact that he became Masters champion. It will have been massively exhausting for him, I think. And he probably just ran out of gas a little bit after finishing second in the Open. Um, and I just think after a couple of weeks off, he should be raring to go. It's such a good golf course for him. Um, and ultimately, he's John Rahm, right? So um, he probably didn't need to say much more than that. Yeah, absolutely. And then just to, I guess, reiterate his record, not just when it comes to the DP World Tour, but particularly the Rolex Series events. Um, he's been basically a stud when it comes to these bigger events on the DP World Tour. He kind of get, comes over and, and gets the job done um, in these larger events. So no complaints whatsoever about the pick. Um, obviously, having read your fantastic article, which you can find over on um, Sporting Life, is um, always worth a read. As uh, I said at the beginning of the show, I, I in my personal opinion, Ben Coley is the absolute goat of um, golf content uh, just in terms of his, his writing style as well. It's always fantastic reading and um, one of the sharpest in the market. So um, do head over there if you get a chance. Um, with my first selection on the draft cast, I'm going to go, I'm going to skip across the, the top three and actually go down to uh, Tommy Fleetwood for me. It's 10,200. Um, I think Tommy's just right on the, the precipice of victory. We've seen him do very well in these tournaments towards the end of the year previously. The Net Bank Challenge last year, for example, when he stepped back to the DP World Tour, came out and won there. Um, again, smaller field, but a pretty high class field in that. Um, his ball striking is always excellent and he just seems to be rounding into a bit of form and the question for me with, with Tommy comes in that he, he's seemed to struggle when it comes to Sundays on the PGA Tour. He, he does seem a lot more comfortable when it comes to the DP World Tour and that step back in form um, in terms of the class of the field. And, of course, there's the headliners here, but I do wonder whether there's an element of comfort that comes to this sort of course with Tommy Fleetwood. He tends to win at around this, you know, minus 18 to minus 22 kind of mark is quite often where his victories come on these these more difficult sort of courses. And I just wonder if um, with the Ryder Cup around the corner, he's wanting to cement his place and some of those starting four balls and foursomes and show a bit of form coming into Luke Donald so that um, we make sure that he's, he's rounding out through in as many matches as possible. Ben Coley, any thoughts on Tommy Fleetwood? Yeah, I love Tommy. Um, in, in my betting preview, which obviously is a slightly different conversation, I, I thought him and Matt Fitzpatrick were quite rightly um, considered the big threats to the big three. Um, he came here last year, I think, and probably just for a bit of context as well, he was the first-round leader last year and, and then emptied out. But it was his first start in two months after um, his, his mother had passed away. And um, I think coming back to Wentworth, knowing that that's where he returned to action last year, um, knowing that he has that 64 behind him and, and that really it's, it's a course that he's threatened to win at a couple of times. Um, it would be a really nice way to round off what's been his best year in, in four or five years, really. And as you said, in terms of the Ryder Cup, I mean, one of the things I sometimes forget, and I've been obviously doing a lot of prep work for the Ryder Cup the last few days, you know, he, he really wasn't a significant player for Europe in, in 2021 um, because he hadn't had a great year. Uh, and if you Compare that to 2018 when he was, you know, one half of such a brilliant partnership with Francesco. Then um, I'm sure he'd be eager to to show his worth again. Um, and really, he should be a, a stalwart of the team this year. And uh, why not on the back of a, a massive win? And, and the final thing I'll say is that actually he gets a bit of stick for not winning as often as people think he might. But you look at his strike rate over his last 60, 70 events at this level. 
um, he's winning at about one in 12. Well, I'm sorry, but outside the elite, that is absolutely outstanding. Um, it's comparable with Matt Fitzpatrick. I think actually it's a little bit better than, than Fitz in DP World Tour events. Um, Tyrrell Hatton, who people, you know, two years ago, people would say, oh, Tyrrell wins, Tommy doesn't. Well, Tyrrell's not won in two and a half years now. So um, I think these things are fairly fluid. They depend on a lot of small factors, a lot of things going right. Uh, and Tommy is more than capable of winning a tournament like this. So, yeah, I wouldn't put anybody off. Absolutely, yeah, and especially at that DP World Tour level, he does. He is pretty prolific, and um, I guess that's why it's been battling. He hasn't got the maiden win on the PGA Tour just yet, is because on the DP World Tour, we're so used to see him slam the door shut when it comes to Sunday, right? And we just haven't seen that on the PGA Tour yet. But um, it's a great course with, um, you know, he's had some great history at. Um, and should fit his game really, really well. Team audience has already nominated Tom Kim with their first selection, um, snatching him out from under my feet because he would have been my um, follow-up pick on the the turnaround. So well done, audience. You've got one over me there. And it looks like the second selection after um, your comments about Toro Haddon is to back that up and um, take him from you there as well. So... Um, any thoughts and any preference between those two selections there, Ben? I was on the DP World Tour podcast earlier today and, and my colleague and friend Matt Cooper made a very strong case for Tom Kim, who, of course, has played a lot of good golf in the UK from limited opportunities. And you think on paper, this is a really good course for him because um, it is a course that can't really be overpowered. There aren't a lot of holes where you can cut a corner or you can... Uh, where Rory McIlroy can take out his driver and fly a bunker that people otherwise cannot fly. There are a couple of opportunities to do that, but really not many. Um, so Tom Kim, every chance, um, as far as Tyrrell goes, you know, I think we probably all have expected him to come over and, and be a big factor in this event. Obviously a winner, what, three years ago now? Um, or is it two? I don't know. Um, no, three, of course. Um, and it, it was a bit disappointing how he played last week, but it was just one round of golf, really. He was better on Friday. Um, and he has had a really, really good year on the PGA Tour. We we all know that, you know, in the sort of base stats, he was not far off the, the top three there. So um, no surprise if he were to win this event again. It is one where we've seen a number of multiple champions. Uh, and again, a bit like Tom Kim, right? I know Tyrrell's added a bit of yardage, but essentially he hits a really straight ball. Um, and uh, yeah, that works here. So no reason he can't go well. Yeah, Tom Tom Kim as well is like just quietly. I mean, he's still he's still very young, but he is adding distance. And I think that's been one critique is is you know Tom Kim's short, but you know the guy's in his early twenties. Like I mean, he's still developing and growing, and he is gaining a bit of distance to go along with that accuracy. The the appeal for me with Tom Kim is just the the short game is so excellent, and the putters um, can just really fire up and. On, on this type of course where eventually you are going to miss greens, like you are going to miss fairways, uh, you, you're going to have to scramble and you're going to have to make some putts. And I've got every confidence that, that Tom Kim's got the ability to do that when they do, when he does get onto the, the flat surface. Um, so on the turnaround, would have very much liked to have um, taken Tom Kim here. Well done, audience. You've stolen um, that from underneath me. So I'll go instead further down the board with... Um, a bit of value, but a player who, in terms of our comp courses that we spoke at the beginning of the show, ticks a lot of boxes for me 
is um, Julian Bruin at 7,100. So he's turned into um, some decent form with the Irons the last three um, tournaments, gaining multiple strokes on approach. Um, 54th at the Scottish Open, not much to say there, but 25th at the Czech Masters, then 16th last week at the K Club. As Ben mentioned, I don't think that's the worst guide as well as being a guidance in terms of your recent form. Then we look at some of those correlated courses. So Rinkfin at Sudal Open earlier this year, he was 15th. Matiga, he's had a 13th and 7th and two appearances there at the Kenya Open. And then a 13th at the um, the French Open last year as well, which I don't think um, Le Golf National is the worst comp course for here. So, um, yeah, just looks to be striping it beautifully. The approach, approach game is really turning around, um, gaining a bit on um, accuracy as well last week. And um, I suspect he'll make the cut, which for 7,100 is what I kind of want. Yeah, I looked at Julian Brown this week, actually, for all the reasons you said. I think if you were to sort of put one of the what are they spider diagrams or whatever of his game, it would look very, very similar, but not as good uh, to a player like Luke Donald, who, of course, had a great record here back in the day. And, and someone like Alex Bjork as well. Like he's crooked off the tee. He did say last week that his driver felt better, which is encouraging. Um, and he seems to be improving with the week and um, by the week rather. And he's a player I've, I've always had a bit of time for. So, yeah. Julian Brom was uh, about 200 to 1 over here. And, you know, I, I thought he was one of the more interesting outsiders, that's for sure. Yeah, and um, spoiler alert for the, for anyone who isn't a member of uh, Wind Daily Sports, if you do want to join, just jump over to my Twitter at Deep Dive Golf. Um, but he did make uh, my card this week at, um, I think I put him up at 180 to 1, um, which you can find at William Hill with eight places, which I, um, particularly with eight places, is very, very generous. Um, and then I like him in the top 20 and top 40 markets this week as well. Uh, ben, two selections for you on the turnaround here. Where would you like to spend those dollars? Um, first of all, I'm going to go with Billy Horschel, um, who I think, you know, for 8,500, you look at the golfers he's sort of surrounded by. Um, I think he's good value. I, I thought he was kind of a little bit shorter than I wanted to be taking in the outright market this week because having put him up last week in Ireland uh, in a weaker field to go in again at sort of the same, if not slightly shorter odds, um, felt like um, it was asking a little bit too much. But at the price he's pitched in at, um, you know, sort of around Sepp Stracker or Aaron Rye and Alex Bjork, uh, beneath Vincent Norman and Adrian Moronk. I think he deserves to be higher up there. Um, I'm sure he'd be very popular for that reason. Um, so, you know, in, in, I don't think you're going to get a big edge in terms of um, ownership projection there. But um, I think he's, he's set for a very good week. I mean, it's easy to forget that he was, what, 12 under uh, with... 15 holes to play or, or 12 holes to play at the K Club. You know, if he plays the, the remaining 15 or so in, in two under, he's, he's right there on the winning score. So he's one of those who played a lot better than his final results. And stats-wise, I mean, for the first two days, he absolutely striped it. Um, not so good on Sunday. He wasn't the only one. It was a really strange Sunday, um, as we've discussed. And really, the short game was the thing that let him down the most. His, his chipping was not great. Um, in fact, it was decidedly poor. But if we can get a better week there... Um, he's a player I, I like a lot um, in terms of DraftKings this week. As I say, he wasn't quite a big enough price. I'd have wanted sort of 40, 50 to 1 maybe, but um, that's kind of what the what he translates to here on DraftKings. And I, I thought it was exceptional value. So I'll go with Billy Horschel first of all. And I get another pick, right? I get to go straight in again. You do? Yeah, absolutely. Big back. Right. I'm going to take Francesco Molinari. I'm scrolling to find him. Um, I, I, I understand that, you know, there are some concerns about Molinari this week. You'll have to tell me where he is because I can't see him anywhere. But uh, there we go. 7, there we go. So um, 
look, it's almost a little bit too cute, isn't it? You know, the the course specialist, he's got a better record here than anybody. I think if you look out for Justin Ray tweeting in the next sort of 48 hours about uh, Francesco's record at the West Course, it is utterly phenomenal. Um, he's a winner in 2018. He has six other top tens in his last 10 appearances. And yeah, okay, 2018 was the year he went on to win the Open. Um, he was a better golfer then than he is today. But again, I come back to that point around people who are playing mostly on the PGA Tour and what happens when they come back. And we go back to the start of the year. I was actually on Francesco as a 50-1 to shot in Abu Dhabi um, at Yas Links where he led going into the final round. Uh, he played really, really well in the Hero Cup the week before that. And I believed very briefly that this could be a, a sort of a renaissance year for him that might even end with a Ryder Cup place. Now, obviously, he's there instead as a vice-captain, but um, I, I think he's still got plenty of game. And if you go back to the Czech Masters, which is not as suitable a course as this one, nothing like it, uh, he posted a couple of 67s through the middle of the tournament, you know, 10 under for his Friday and Saturday rounds. He didn't make a great deal of putts. His approach play was as good as it's been since January. Uh, he drove the ball well. And if he's going to come alive again, you know, why not at Wentworth, where last year he finished ninth and he hadn't played for two months. So um, he can go around here blindfold. And uh, I'm pretty hopeful that he can surprise a few people this week, top 20, maybe even top 10. And it wouldn't shock me entirely if he's right in there in the mix. I mean, you absolutely baffle me, Ben, in terms of your knowledge and your ability to just retain that information. Um, I don't know how you do it. I get accused at Wind Daily Sports of um, being a time traveller and owning a DeLorean um, when my successful um, tipping comes in. But um, if I'm Marty McFly, you were certainly the, the Doc Brown um, of golf tipping. So, um, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Uh yeah, look, in, in interesting here at Wentworth, right, you do get some pretty sticky course history. Like, it does seem a place that once you find for me, you found, found the way to to plot your way around this course that you can retain that. And both um, Billy Ho and, and Francesco Molinari tick those boxes in spade, particularly Billy Horschel's just um, phenomenal when it comes to this course. And um, I don't know whether it's just his love for, for West Ham or um, the course itself, but he, he does love getting over to the UK and uh, tends to play very well. So no complaints with... Um, either of those picks for me. Um, I am going to go someone actually who um, is also on the Ryder Cup team, also like Tommy Fleetwood, probably wants to prove himself and make sure that he's going in with some decent form and make sure he's getting into as many games as possible, which would be Justin Rose, who I think within his price bracket is probably going to get missed quite a bit. Um, I know Tom Kim's going to be very popular just above him. I think Nikolai Huerga is going to attract some attention. Adrian Moronk's right there as well. And I think Justin Rose is likely the one in that range who gets missed. He, he has got a very, very good record here. Um, we've seen it previously. He's um, finished 6th, 8th, 12th, 25th, 9th. He's had a runner-up in 2012 um, and a 10th in um, 2010 as well. And he looks to be riding, riding into um, a bit of decent form he had a decent playoffs he didn't make the tour championship but um 20th at the St Jude and then 22nd at the BMW championship as well um looked to be finding his game a little bit more coming into um Ryder Cup season and I, as I said I just think he sort of gets missed there and he does have the upside returning back to home soil we haven't seen him for a little bit as well so that's perhaps promising if you don't really know where his game is so um I always like to take kind of a flyer on something like that where he could very well have been striping on the driving range and, and the Jeep Republic are, are not going to be none the wiser. 
Any yeah, thoughts I like Rose. Rose. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's 33 to 1 here. I, you have to look twice at that. I mean, he, once upon a time, went off favourite for this. I, 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 I was a bit disappointed with him at the British Masters, and I know that's harsh. I, I tend not to criticise players when they finish sort of the top five, and it's an extraordinarily hard thing to do. Um, but I was on him that week uh, as favourite. I, I thought he he would go and stamp his class in that event, and it he just made one too many mistakes. And he did the same in Canada, and I, I have my doubts about him going and winning a big event like this at the moment, uh, which will seem harsh, especially as he you know obviously won at Pebble Beach back in the spring and has achieved pretty much everything there is to achieve in this game. But I'm fascinated by his Ryder Cup role as well, just on that, because historically he's been a phenomenal foursomes player. I think he's won seven out of ten matches in foursomes. Um, would you pick him for a foursomes with the squad you've got at the moment? Probably not. And maybe he does need to go and convince Luke Donald to to do that uh, with his performance here. But um, he's moved back to England. He'll be, you know, he's, he's, he's someone who cares deeply about his legacy in the game. And I think if you asked him realistically, obviously he wants to win another major. I think the Masters would be top of his list, actually, ahead of the Open. But actually, in a sort of more realistic level, this would be a really nice thing to add to the CV before, before he retires, because he's certainly gone close to winning it before. Absolutely, yeah, and it, and it, um, yeah, he he does look like he's rounding into a bit of form this year. Obviously, he's um was desperately um upset with the the Ryder Cup last time and um dead keen to to be back. And I I, I wonder as well, like he's he seems like he's almost going to be the the locker room guy. He, there's not a hell of a lot of experience on this European side. Um, I I'm sure that he is desperate to be out there and playing as many matches as he possibly can and I think this is the kind of week where he can go and, and stamp his authority and perhaps put it out there and um, convince Luke Donald he needs to be rolled out a little bit more than he would be if he if he doesn't play well this week so a um, couple of nominations in the chat just a reminder everyone you can check your names in the in the chat you're drafting against myself and Ben as well you've got your own team once a golfer's named, if they get a second nomination, that is your selection. So, uh, so far we've got Zanotti, Sharma, Victor Perez. We just need a second on one of those. Um, James, I'm not sure if that's a, a tip on Victor Hovland or if that's a official selection for you from the audience as well. Um, ben, while we're, we're waiting for that, um, this Ryder Cup, obviously we spoke pretty extensively over the last year as we do in, in our chats about um, what the likely selections were going to be and Within Win Daily, we actually put up Europe at, at three dollars ten, and now they've moved into kind of like a, you know, plus one twenty five, two dollars twenty five kind of range, which which for me feels about fair. But if you were, you know, brand new walking into the market now, would you be placing a bet on either side, or are you just kind of a wait and see and see where things lay, kind of after a couple of days? No, probably not. To be honest, I mean, it doesn't massively interest me in a pure. Uh, the, the outright market doesn't massively interest me as a as a betting medium most years. I, I think it's easy to say now, but hopefully people have picked up on other podcasts I've been on and, and things I've written. I do think, you know, if you were getting two to one uh, Europe a, a month or so ago, you were on the right side of it. I think they'll probably go off sort of 11 to eight, six to four. So plus 250 in the, in your language. Um, so, um, and, and that would be about right. They, they, they have to be underdogs, even on home soil. Uh, but I wouldn't entertain back in the US odds on that's for sure. As ever, I think there'll be loads of interesting opportunities in other markets, uh, including not just scorers, but actually a couple of years ago over here, bookmakers were offering prices on pairings and everything. And if we can get that again, I mean, they might've been stung by that last time, but um 
hopefully a few of them go in again with that because I think uh, that I, the, the best markets are always the ones where you're pitting your opinion against someone else's um, and it's a straightforward uh, match there um, and uh, there will be opportunities hopefully I remember Sergio Garcia to hit the first tee shot was the highlight of a otherwise poor Ryder Cup for me last time um, and that's what I'll be digging around for because that's that's the stuff that interests me a bit more yeah, fantastic. And and so they had markets last time and who the captains were going to send out in their, in their peers. That was one of the markets that was available. Yeah, and believe it or not, I mean, not every bookmaker did it, but believe it or not, after the US had even started going out in their pods of four, you could bet sort of five to one on Morikawa and DJ playing together, which, you know, at best was a two to one chance at that point, given that they're in the same pod. But um, look, that, that probably won't happen again. I'm, but funny, I've been on Sporting Live, the website I work for, um, putting out some tennis content this week on behalf of a, a very uh, shrewd colleague. And this time last year, he previewed the Davis Cup and tipped Canada at 33 to 1, and they went on to win it, having brought in all their big guns for the final. And uh, this, this time, bookmakers have not priced it up. So I think it'd probably be a case of once bitten, twice shy with the Ryder Cup pairings as well. But we, uh, we live in hope, you never know. Yeah, I mean, my, my first selection would be um, McElroy Aberg. Just seems like a no-brainer pairing to to go out, put him with the experience, nice correlating teams with the two. And, um, yeah, if there was if there was a, a market out there for that, I'd certainly be in there. Be in there. Um, audience, you've got Victor Perez with your first selection. Um, look, Perez didn't quite make the card for me. I can understand the appeal. Um, he does look to be rounding into form. I know, Ben, that you're a little bit higher on him this week than than I am. So um, I'm sure that you you don't mind that selection on Perez this week. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's a little bit hard to get a handle on, but I don't mind that. You know, some players, you have to accept that and, and you get the sort of compensation being the, the bigger odds or the, the lower price on, on DraftKings. I think, you know, for his upside, for someone who's won three very big events, you know, the Dunhill link's okay. He was... Uh, dueling it out with Matt Southgate in the final round there. It might not look on paper like a big deal, but it was a huge deal and it's for very big money. Um, then he's won the KL Open. He beat Ryan Fox with a remarkable display of putting. I'm sure many people remember. Uh, and then this year, the, the, the biggest win of his career, he asked Links um, when he saw off people like Min Woo Lee and uh, Shane Lowry and Francesco Malari. He, he can go and win tournaments like this. Um, you know, the flip side is he's been up and down. He had COVID in Northern Ireland three weeks ago. Um, but hopefully he's fully recovered from that. He, he hit the ball really nicely in the Czech Republic. And I think the key thing that sort of drew me back to him was that uh, his odds are inflated because he missed the cut at Kron and he simply is a player who has not figured out that golf course yet, whether it's the altitude, whether it's the, the nature of the course. It might have something to do with the fact that he's occasionally a very poor chipper around those small greens, but whatever the reason, he doesn't play well there ever. And therefore, why should it bother us that he didn't play well there a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's where I guess that, that in-depth knowledge that, that you possess um, really comes to its fore because, yeah, I mean, Cranes is such a weird, quirky, specialist course that, you know, if a player who isn't expected to play well um, doesn't play well there, well, we shouldn't really be that perturbed by it. Um, and then, yeah, it looks like we're going to go uh, for the audience with um, Shabanka Sharma, which again is another steal for the audience from who I would have taken for my team here. Look, Sharma, Sharma kind of has this this 
tendency across his entire career to either miss the cut or finish in the, the top 10. Like the, the upside that this guy possesses is um, absolutely insane. I thought the eighth at the Open Championship was incredibly impressive. Um, seventh last week at the Irish Open, which, you know, when he opened up his lead kind of after Thursday, Friday, we probably expected he could have gone the other way and just keep running away with it and um, ended up with a pretty boring Irish Open, which we kind of got the opposite of um, nobody really wanted to win it come Sunday. Um, and then he's got an excellent record here. I mean, he's had a ninth and a 17th here previously in 2021 and 2019, um, 13th in the Tiger as well in 2022 last year. So I don't mind that. But um, Sharma for me is like the ultimate play in your larger GPP contests of a golfer who can go out there, absolutely spike and finish in the top 10. And um, yes, he might miss the cut for you, but if you're in those larger contests, he could be somewhere where um, you're going to get some really high upside, which is um, certainly an aspect of his game that I like here. Yeah, he's a super player, Shipanko. He's a lot younger than a lot of people would think as well, because he came out and, and won very quickly um, on the DP World Tour in Jerobergen and then again in Malaysia and um, he's still got a lot of uh, good golf ahead of him. And, and as you say, he um, he's produced it on courses like this. I mean, Sojana actually, where he won uh, in Malaysia, would be would be broadly similar and, and probably Rand Park in Joburg as well. They're tree-line golf courses where, you know, his accuracy off the tee counts or something. And he's got that, that the thing you mentioned that he, he sort of spikes, he's got that in sort of every element of his game and particularly his irons and his putting. He can be the field leader in putting. He can be certainly one of the top five in, in approach play. And that's a, a really deadly blend, obviously. Uh, and there are players who just simply don't have those spike weeks, at least, you know, not, not to the, the same uh, scale as Sharma for a player so low down the rankings. So yeah, he's, he's a nice player, a lot of time for him. And uh, he's probably playing as well as he had for a few years. Yep, absolutely agree. Um, that's why I'm most upset at the audience for taking him from me because I would have loved to have had him on my squad this week. Um, looking at where my selection now and looking where everyone's salary is kind of sitting, I'm thinking that I'm going to have to go um, to a range where I would have would have ideally have liked to um, to have taken someone like a Perez perhaps, but I'll go I'll go up to a, a Ryan Fox at 8100 for me. Um, third last week, I think he'll be bitterly disappointed he didn't come across the line in the Irish Open. I mean, um, as a fellow Kiwi, despite I have both Ryan Fox and Vincent Norman were my two shorter selections last week, um, and despite Vincent Norman being at the 45-1 to 1, um, higher odds, I would have loved to have seen Ryan Fox get across the line and um, win it, of course, where um, Michael Campbell, obviously, and fellow Kiwi um, won as well previously, but wasn't to be. He would have been disappointed um, to play the the two par fives at even par, but um, look, we, we know the level that Ryan Fox has been competing. He's currently outside the top 10 um, to automatically qualify for the PGA Tour, and I would um, suspect that, you know, I, well, having spoken to him and interviewed him earlier this year, I know that that's where he wants to be playing. Um, so he does really need to come out and perform at these these events when there's so many points on offer. Um, yes, there's an element of pressure that comes with that. But, um, you know, I, I think that Foxy's got the medal battle. He always seems so calm on the golf, the golf course. Um, very part, fast pace of play. Likes to get out there and just um, kind of get up, hit the ball and, um, and see where the ball ends up lying. And then um, in terms of the comp courses, um, the second last year at Rinkfin, um obviously holds some um, correlation here. Uh, a lot of people 
won't know with with Ryan as well that obviously he hits his two iron off the tee, loves to do so and loves to club down. And so um, not so worried about his um, driving accuracy here for me, although that might put some people off. What do you think of the um, fellow Kiwi there, Coley, with um, Ryan Fox? Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's just so solid at this level now. He, you know, he's one of the best players on the DP World Tour. I think he's more than good enough to go and hold his own in the state. So I hope he achieves that goal. You know, he's played some really good golf this year. And, um, you know, not to keep repeating myself, but he is a player who, you know, when you see someone like that, his first real foray to the States finishing, I don't know, 25th at Colonial or whatever he was, that that really impresses me. It wouldn't impress everybody, but I, I really do think form like that is of value. And actually, it leads me nicely into into my next pick, who's uh, Thomas Dietrich, um, at just $100 Less, um, he was uh, in the top five here last year. He was a bit unlucky to be disqualified, I think, the year before. Um, uh, he comes in on some of those comparisons. So, Sudal Open, he probably will look back and feel like he should have done better. He certainly should have done better. He might feel he should have won that earlier this year. Um, he's had a really good year in the States. Uh, he played really nicely for the most part last week. Um, struggled a little bit on Sunday, but he was in and around the places for, for most of it. Drove the ball really well. Um, he gained strokes through the bag on the PGA Tour as a rookie this season, you know, comfortably uh, kept hold of his playing rights for next year. And um, I know he gets a, a hard time for not having won yet, and I do get that. Um, and, and uh, you know, events like those which took place in Belgium earlier this year are, are hard to justify. But he's been a bit unlucky at times as well, certainly when when he lost out in a playoff in Scotland to Minwoo Lee. So, uh, yeah, Thomas Dietrich, um, a player who is still getting better um, and I think will continue to do so for a good while yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of the ones who's been burned by by Dietrich, um, particularly I think it was the Punta Cana earlier this year where he probably should have gone and won and was within my selections and um again just came out with a Sunday um round. I think he shot even par in the final round on a very easy course that he really should have gone out and dominated. Um yeah and it, and that is the struggle for me with Dietrich. And um look when you get situations like that though, once people start getting burned by someone like Thomas Dietrich, then they want to start excluding them. You know, we 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 as humans psychologically want to avoid pain, right? So we want to avoid someone who's going to let us down and um, they can create leverage and they can create opportunities. We know where the upside of Thomas Dietrich should be. I, I do suspect he will get out there and win a tournament at some point of his um, career. Um, he's too talented not to. And yeah, look, I, I can't complain about the the pick at all. And um, two final picks for yourself. I've got 7,450 on average. What would you like to go with your second to last selection here? Uh, so I'm going to go Eddie Pepperell here. Um, a player who's a couple of top tens at Wentworth. He really loves the course. I um, sometimes have a little chat with his brother. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying. And um, I messaged him a few weeks ago when I, I was keen on Eddie um, at Galgorn Castle. Um, where he played really well. Uh, whether I can't remember. I think he was second in the end, but he was certainly a you know, distant second or third, um, uh, about 45 to one, whatever he was. Um, there have been some really good signs lately. I mean, at his best, he's one of the best iron players on the DP World Tour. His putting's improved, a bit like Julian Brom, we were discussing earlier, his weaknesses off the tee. Um, most of the time, he doesn't take a driver out onto the course with him, which in the modern era of sort of data-powered golf is very, very rare. Um, but he likes to take a, a two-wood in effect and a, and a different three-wood, um, and he messes around with things. But I messaged his brother after, you know, they tweeted that he played really well um, in a practice round together. 
Um, and he said, look, he's he's working on his own at the moment. He doesn't have a coach, but he really feels like he's got back the old feels that that he had when he was winning the British Masters, say, five years ago. And when he was contending for the Players' Championship as well, let's not forget when he was in the top 10 of the Open at Carnoustie. Uh, and I think there are loads of signs there. He's back on track. He's motivated again. He's really enjoying his golf. Um, and he rises to the occasion in events like this. And um, I, I just think that that miscut last week is is nice because it kind of puts people off. And I think that the underlying strength of his game remains. Um, and Wentworth is a really good place to show that because, as I said before, he doesn't have to pack that driver. You know, he's he's not one who's going to go for the 17th and two. He, he might not go for 18 and two all that often. Uh, but he can he can still score here because there are a lot of holes where if you put it in play off the tee, you're hitting seven, eight, nine iron, and that is his bread and butter. So uh, yeah, Eddie Pepper, I think have a good week. Yeah, and no, I'm I was one of the ones who put up um, Eddie Pepper last week. He actually made a DFS score and and um, broke our hearts by um, finishing his last six holes in um, three over. I think it was to miss the cut on the number, um, which was incredibly disappointing and. Um, look, I mean, we need Eddie Pepperell's um, tweeting, was Byron said last week, when Eddie Pepperell's tweeting, he's playing good golf, and um, we've been seeing a few battles with him with uh, Lee Westwood lately on um, Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it, um, the the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I do love the upside with Eddie Pepperell. I do suspect he comes out and wins one of these big tournaments at some point. We, we, for me, the quality is there. That's why I put him up at the Irish Open, because it looked like a course that was really actually going to suit him quite well. Um, he would have been disappointed to have missed um, the the weekend there because I don't think he could have gone very deep into the tournament. But yeah, look, um, by all means, it's a course where he's played very well previously in six in um, 2020. And as you mentioned, it was a third at uh, Galgorm earlier this year. Um, so for me, I'm going to go and um, take um, one of the Windaily Sports crowd's audience favourites, um, and if we're talking about high ceiling and absolutely low bottom floor, no one else comes to mind more than Greta Migliosi at um, 7,700. Um, for me, I'll kind of put him in there instead of Sharma as my guy who can either go out there and finish top 10 or um, completely miss the cut and ruin this team completely for me. But he's looked a lot closer, Greta, of late. And um, I love the ball striking that we get with him. Uh, we saw the French Open, obviously, a victory there for, for him there last year as well. And um, as you mentioned, it's not necessarily the worst course that we could look at in terms of um, correlating form for the Italian. Yeah, I love Guido this week. Um, I, I think, you know, rounds of 63 and 61 at Coron a couple of weeks ago, really eye-catching. And, um, you know, he's got his title defence coming up, as you say. And, um, you know, he'll be geared up to, to do himself justice in France. And I think he's playing very similarly to how he was playing before he won that tournament last year. Um, whether or not he can produce the shot he produced to, to win it again to, to do it here, I don't know. But he's definitely a player with um, you know big tiles like this in him. I think he's probably one of those rare golfers who gets better the more it matters. And that's uh, that's a real quality. Yeah, and, and interesting as well with Megliozzi. I guess after the, the French Open, he almost entered the realm of Ryder Cup chat. And I guess it would have been nice to have had an Italian on the, the team. And I wonder as well with those selections now being done. And, you know, I, I think he would have well known by this latter stage that he wasn't going to make the squad. But now that that team has kind of formed, 
that pressure is completely removed. You can go out and play a bit freer. And I, I suspect we almost saw that a little bit at Cranes in terms of um, those 61s and 63s that you mentioned. He has got the ability to just go incredibly low. And for me, it's a course that should really suit him. Um, yes, he's going to make some bogeys, but um, God, he can make some birdies when he's um, on form as well. So um, audience, you are on the clock. And um, what have we got here? We went... Kawamura, I think, was the first selection, if I'm not mistaken. Um, got a double. I, I don't like I don't mind Masahiro Kawamura at all. Um, I think that he's got some incredible upside. He's played very well at um other driving accuracy courses like um Tiger. Um he's got a very good record there. Um we obviously were on him recently at Cranes at 250 to one, I think, and he finished eighth for us. Um, unfortunately, just spoiled the party a little bit with the share of the, the place payout, but um, very juicy top 40 and top 20 markets. So um, that's the first one there. And um, if someone in the audience can let me know, might be Fitzpatrick, it looks like. But let me put um, Karamura in there and we'll make sure that you guys are staying below your salary cap because... I, you're going to be leaving a lot of salary on the table, audience. So I'll give you a final chance on um, Fitzpatrick there, whether you want to leave at $1,400 odd on the table if you want to come back up to the $9,000 range. Um, thank you, Seb. It, it was Alex Fitzpatrick. Um, look, if we, if we don't get any other names sort of in the next minute, we'll stick with that as your selection. But it does look like you'll end up leaving a lot of money on the table. So... I'll give you kind of a, a minute, but what's what's your take on Karamura while we give the the audience a, a second chance here, Ben, on um, spending the rest of their salary? Yeah, he's got a nice record here. He's, he's really strong off the tee, not because he's long, but because um, he's accurate generally. Um, he's a nice player, and um, he, he tends to be one of those who swings wildly from good form to bad, but can hold on to some good form when he finds it. You know, you'll often see him produce those batches of, say, four top 20s in five or six starts and then go very, very cold for a while. His, his long game numbers can fall off a cliff and yet he somehow brings them back. So um, he's one of those players. I'm a little bit surprised he's not won a small event by now. Um, perhaps he will, you know, probably next year um, in the spring, events like the Indian Open or whatever. But um, yeah, he's a nice player and he's got a good record at Wembley. Yes, he does. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can sort of discount that first start, um, miscut as a, as a sighter. And obviously, he was quite a different golfer there. Um, but since then, he's had three starts for three top 20. So obviously, um, has some liking to the place. And um, very generous of myself to allow the audience to to retake their pick here. But um, Adrian Moronk, I think, is a much better shot um, this week and then um, Alex Fitzpatrick. And that's not necessarily a knock against Alex Fitzpatrick. It's just that Adrian Moronk is obviously a better golfer. Um, and you're using um, quite a bit more of your salary there. So, audience, you're welcome. Um, I am here for you, despite I'm being against you on this week. Um, you know that I've always got your backs. Um, Adrian Moronk this week, any thoughts there, Ben? What do you like, like his chances? I'd just be a little bit worried that, he, you know, it's, it's another trip to the well, if you like. You know, he's played the last, what, four events and... Um, would this be four in a row, wouldn't it? And and it, it's high intensity. I, and I know, look, they're not travelling all that far across Europe and he's, he's a relatively young man and um, it's probably an excuse he wouldn't make for himself. But I just, it's a big mental 
uh, thing, I think, to defend the Irish Open and face those questions. And he was very emotional about it, um, as you perhaps expect him to be. So he, he didn't particularly interest me this week, but um, he's clearly a, a highly talented golfer. And if he goes and wins this, then I'll be the first to, to look back and say, yeah, um, he had all the incentive in the world to go out and prove a point. And actually, it's probably Luke Donald's worst nightmare, isn't it? Someone like him. I mean, if Vincent Norman wins again, um, I don't think Donald will be that pleased about it because it just sort of raises that question of should we be picking our team that far in advance? But uh, yeah, um, I, loads of time for Adrian. I hope he does get his day in the Red Cup uh, in, in a few years. Yeah, I, I, I suspect he does. I mean, and, and what an achievement that will be for him. Um, obviously, be the first um, Polish player to make the Ryder Cup squad. Um, yeah, and look, I, I, I tend to agree. It's been a long season for him. I wonder if he's, um, you know, it, it's always hard to, to you, you enter the realms of speculation when you're looking at the motivation of players, right? And it's always hard to determine, is Adrian Rock going to come out, like, really fired up and, like, wanting to prove a point against Luke Donald? Or um, is he going to be just heartened and really just, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, take a take a back seat, as it were. So um, very difficult on those those kind of calls to make. But, um, look, I, I, Adrian Rock's certainly got the talent in my eyes to go and win a tournament like this. I wonder if it's a little bit early, um, just given the calibre of the field. But certainly I like um, putting Adrian Rock in the audience team there a lot more than putting Alex Fitzpatrick. Um, so I do think that's the, the better of the two. Um, for me, I'm going to leave a little bit of salary on the table as well. Um, I was in between a couple of choices here. I don't think um, that um, Loughton's the worst selection. My concern really just comes because his, his chipping has just been so dreadful. And I know that you're going to need to scramble here. I guess that's where that concern comes in for me with him. So I'm actually going to leave a little bit of salary on the table. I'm going to take Connor Syme at 7,600 with my last selection. I don't necessarily think it's the best course fit for him, but his approach play is just so on form at the moment. His last three tournaments have been um, pretty phenomenal. Um, three top tens um, and just looks to be absolutely striping it. I mean, gaining sort of in the realm of six to eight strokes on approach in his last three tournaments. Um, seventh last week at the Irish Open, third at the at Cranston year, and then um, fourth around Gal Gorm as well. So again, he's never really... Uh, well, I mean, he's played this once. He made the cut, lost a ton of strokes putting. Um, we, we're not going to know that much about him liking or disliking this course from that. Um, but for the form that he's in, I just think I can't ignore him at 7,600 and um, would rather go there than perhaps a Rosner or a Loughton for me. Yeah, he's red hot, isn't he? And there are a lot of golfers in that sort of price range, which is obviously the, the bracket I'm looking at as well, uh, who do have a bit of a form question to answer. And, and he certainly doesn't. Um, he's ab absolutely at the top of his game. He's got loads of good form on sort of tree-line courses. I think probably Diamond in Austria is the one that really springs to mind as one where he's been really effective. So, um, yeah, I uh, I would have been looking at him. But I'm, I'm going to go with Matthew Southgate for the final pick. Um, he is 7,400. Um, he's been one of the most reliable Tisa Green players on the on the DP World Tour this year. I, you know, he's been around a long time, Matthew, but I think he's probably playing some of the best golf of his life. Um, I like the fact we're in England. I think he, he really is a player who has produced a lot of his best golf in in UK and Ireland. Obviously, at the K Club back in 2016, when he was second to Victor Perez in the Dunhill Links, when he was uh, in the top 12 a couple of times in the Open Championship. And although Wentworth's not always been kind to him, he seems to be getting better. Um, with every visit and he was 13th last year after a couple of 67s in what proved to be the final two rounds 
Um, the one thing I really like about him in terms of, you know, if they were playing some low-key events over the next month or so, I think he'd be one I'd be going back in on quite regularly because for a while he had a real weakness around the greens and he seems to have sorted it. And it's not a historic week. It just for about a year, it was a real problem. And actually, if you go back when he was out, coming out on tour, his short game was was well talked about. Um, but it, he's found it now. Again, he's gaining strokes in that department. And we know that he's going to gain strokes with his ball striking. He's putting a little bit better. I mean, he's doing everything well. Probably not quite as explosive as Conor Sim lately. But apart from Cron, which he doesn't particularly enjoy, um, he's been, what, 23rd in the Open, 9th at Galgon Castle, 23rd last week, um, getting better as the week progressed. He was 10th in Denmark. You know, he loves uh, Rinkven, where they play the Sudal Open. He was top five there in the spring. And, um, played really well in the Belgian knockout there. So, yeah, with his short game coming around, and I, I do think Matthew Southgate's one of those players who gets a bit better in, in these bigger events. And uh, I think, you know, winning's probably beyond him, but making the cut and playing well and finishing 25th, 30th is probably not. So uh, he looks a good option. Yeah, I mean, Southgate is is probably a, a favourite of mine, particularly on some of those link style courses. Um, the the links form is always very very strong for for Southgate, and um, perhaps on the Parkland course, I would have avoided him here, but I think you've made a really compelling case for um, his situation entering the tournament here. And um, ladies and gentlemen, those are your your lineups. So um, take one final look at them as I bring the draft board down. And I didn't actually mention to, to Ben before we started the show that we like to end the show with some first round leader picks. So Ben, I don't know if you like to enter the first round leader market or if you want to throw some names out there. But while you have a little bit of a look, um, I can um, go and give my two selections uh, for first round leader. And the only reason I'm putting out two is because they're both pretty short. Um, there, Tommy Fleetwood for me at 22 to 1 going off in the morning. And then Tom Kim as well over 33 to 1. I like both of them going off in the morning. I think that that's going to be the, the better weather wave. Um, lighter winds, obviously, and hopefully a little bit softer with some during the morning. I understand it's still pretty fresh and cold over in the UK, um, despite um, being at the tail end of summer. Um, but look, both of those players have a history of going out there and shooting low, especially in the first round. Both can get very hot with the putter, and um, for me, I'd rather go those two selections than um, a smattering of longer-priced ones as well. So, Ben, if you haven't got any first-round leaders, I've kind of thrown you in the lurch um, and at there at the last minute. So if you don't have any first-round leaders, would love to hear from you in terms of any other selections that you like on the board this week from the markets. All I say with the first round lead is is obviously here. One thing to remember is they do all go off the first tee, so it's a, it's an elongated draw in effect. So um, yeah, they're teeing off throughout the morning, um, and and maybe that's an interesting dynamic. The other thing to say is often it is a very very good player. It's got you know it's sort of self evident, I suppose, but um, there are some events where you feel like you might get um, a big price um, first round leader. This one it doesn't happen all that often. It, it does happen, but. And last year was it Tommy and, and Victor were the were the first round leaders. I don't know if there was another person up there with them. So um no, it's it's probably not one I've had a good look at. Um the one thing I would keep an eye on is Jamie Donaldson at a really big price to to maybe sneak in the frame. He's out early. He could have won this tournament two years ago. And if we go back to the Belfry in the spring, which as we've both mentioned is a is a pretty good guide to this. Uh, he was bang there after day one. I think, in fact, he was probably second to Justin Rose after day one. I remember it so vividly because I tipped him at a massive price as well as Justin Rose. And uh, from that point onwards, then things didn't go to plan, but they certainly did on Thursday. Uh, maybe he can produce a low round. But ultimately, I think 
probably uh, focusing on the bigger names who are out early is the right thing to do. Fantastic. Well, you can get Donaldson as high as um, 600 to 1 if you're in the UK on Fangio uh, for a first round leader or um, 500 to 1 for Unibet. I can see out there as well for um, overseas bookmakers. So um, that will certainly be juicy. Um, however, yeah, top of the board for me, I'm, I'm going to go Tommy Fleetwood and Tom Kim with my two selections. Mr. Ben Coley, I realise that it's extremely late there over in the UK, truly international this week because it's early morning or um, sort of quarter past 10 now um, in New Zealand. So, um, look, I just so appreciate you coming on the show. It's been absolutely wonderful to hear your insights and to get to speak to him person rather than um, our endless kind of Twitter conversations about various golfers and murmurings about the world of golf. But um, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. And if you're not following Ben, you can find him on Twitter at Ben Coley Golf um, and on Sporting Life. I just highly recommend you go out them. For me, he is the absolute best um, golf tipster that you can find. And the best thing is that all his articles are absolutely free to go and read. So do please go out and support him because um, his page is absolutely on fire um and his selections are incredibly incredibly sharp um ben any final thoughts before we end the show here no only to say thank you for that very very generous and it's been a, a real pleasure to speak to you as well and to do something a bit different because i don't write about DraftKings. um i've played it um many times in the past but it's not um necessarily my forte or, or something i often get to talk about so that was a lot of fun doing the snake draft there and uh, you've got a good show here so no it's been fun to be on um my wife might kill me but um, other than that uh, it's all good i'm gonna get the dog to bed i'm gonna go to bed and uh, we're what 36 hours here from from the start of one of my favorite tournaments of the year so uh, all good fun yep fantastic and um that's that's very very nice to hear and uh, i hope that your wife does not give you too much trouble because when it comes to the pga draft cast there's one thing that we love and that is sports <laughs>